Welcome to the O-Shift for Teens podcast, a show where I team up with a thought leader and we discuss a new topic question that will help you better understand your teen. I'm your host, Mark Tucker, co-author of O-Shift for Teens, as well as the O-Shift for Teens curriculum and the O-Shift for Teens workshop kit, which is being used by facilitators everywhere. Head to oshift.com and join the growing movement of shift heads all across the world. Well, if you listen to this show, then you may know that Jennifer Powers and I also do a weekly audio blog. And these are just short audios that are meant to help you be better shift heads. Recently, I went ahead and I got both the podcast and the audio blog, all the episodes, on iTunes. Now, if you're into iTunes, that's good news because you can go to iTunes and subscribe. And I hope that you do because I believe that that will make the ratings of this show and the audio blog will go up a little bit. So if you're into all that, go check out iTunes, find the audio blog, find the OSHA for Teens podcast, and you can subscribe. Of course, you can subscribe to the show right at the website as well at oshift.com. So you can do that, obviously. Today, I had a conversation with a very special guest, uh, Dr. Lamar Shields. Dr. Shields is uh, somebody that we know, that Jennifer Powers and I know very well. He's a tireless champion for youth. We talked about the topic of how do we support teens of color um, right now. And uh, I think it's a really relevant topic, and he had so much good information for us. So I want to get straight to that interview. It's a little longer than normal, but I thought, man, what a relevant conversation. Let's let it go a little longer. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview with Dr. Lamar Shields. My guest today is Dr. Lamar Darnell Shields. Dr. Shields is a social entrepreneur, inspirational speaker, and educator. He's the co-founder and senior director of education and innovation at the Cambio Group. He's also the author of What I Learned in the Midst of Chaos, The Making of a Ubuntu Teacher, as well as 10 Steps Out of Puberty, A Teen's Guide to Successful Living. Dr. Shields, how are you, sir? Man, I am great, man. When you introduced me, I was wondering if you were talking about me or somebody else. I had to look around. <laughs> Is he talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know I could have gone on and on. Now, Dr. Shields, is, um, we, we met you uh, several years ago at a, a conference, and we've seen you many times at conferences helping young people. Yeah, man, we are, I think I'm like lightweight stalking, stalking you. Um, so that's a good thing. When we see each other, you know, it could be in other places, man. I said, oh, I saw you at the, uh, we were locked up together. No, I mean, it's all. Oh, that's good. right. Spent so a few wonderful we... days in prison. <laughs> Writing a letter, like a letter from the Birmingham jail, man. We could be like <laughs> Dr. King, man, you and I. Um, and so we, uh, we do get a chance to cross paths quite a bit, man. I just love, love your energy, uh, love your work, and just grateful to be a part of your show today, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, and and of course, when we see you, we're Jen and I, Jen Powers, we're usually kind of sauntering around, and we see Dr. Shields running to his next uh, uh, <laughs> next workshop. I would and, say I'm like OJ, but I don't think that's a good word to say, like OJ in the airport, man. You know, because OJ is used, not doing it, any running right now, man. It used to be okay to say that. You know, um, and, and and I think that uh, you know that's a good place to start, um, Doc. I know that you are very, very involved in, in numerous ways of helping young people. I mean, you you stay very, very busy. What what's what's kind of the latest thing you've got going on? 
Well, you know, it's interesting, man, right before you called, uh, I was preparing for a girls' conference that I'm working with on the eastern shore of Maryland. It's a beautiful part of Maryland where you cross the Chesapeake, uh, the Bay Bridge. And uh, every year I work with a group of girls, uh, Michelle and I, my wife, but I sort of lead the way, which is kind of cool, you know, a male version of working with girls, because quite often I think we say only only guys need to work with guys and girls need to work with girls or young women right. or African-Americans don't need to work with African-Americans or Latinos. And so I sort of debunked that. And so I'm sitting here, man, and, and, and it was uh, it's strange. I was, I was watching this uh, short documentary. Every year we show a film to the young ladies. That, uh, one year we showed Girlhood, which I don't know if you saw that when we were in Savannah, which is about a young lady who was incarcerated, two young ladies, one a biracial young lady, and another one who's an African-American girl, both incarcerated. Well, at any rate, I was just you know, going through my mind, what film do I want to discuss and show this year? And so, Mark, man, the spirit sort of led me to this conversation that Jada Pinkett Smith is ha- was having with her daughter around um, trafficking of young ladies. Right. And so there's a documentary on CNN that I was re- just reviewing called The CNN Freedom Project, Children for Sale. And, man, it, it is just heart-wrenching, man. It opens up with a young African-American girl. And, and it could be anybody, you know. These are somebody's daughters. Right. And I was just literally in tears because I have two daughters myself. Um, but just watching the mindset, and Jada Pinkett Smith, you know, of course, is married to Will Smith. Uh, she said her daughter brought it to her attention. She says, hey, you know, Mom, do you know that, you know, girls my age are being trafficked? And then, of course, Jada was like, you know, yeah, in other countries and Europe and some parts of Asia and Africa, and, and she says, no, uh, we're talking here in America, and Jada, Jada Smith, her, you know, her mouth just dropped. Right. And, and, you know, even though we look at this woman as a celebrity, you know, her daughter brought this to her attention. So even with the conversation that we're having as we're talking about working with young people, man, the young people are, are sometimes more savvy than we are, even with the work that we're doing. You know, while I was watching this video. I've been touring with the new book, What I Learned in the Midst of Chaos, The Making of an Ubuntu Teacher. Um, and so I'm, I've been traveling all over the country, but, you know, just sitting here writing my notes about this, it was just sort of heart-wrenching because, again, my heart goes out to girls, and we're talking about girls, and then you got this election that's going on, and you have this yeah. great, this guy, you know, uh, who is so into himself, Donald Trump, who says nobody loves women more than I do. Of course, yeah, I'm sure that may be true. And they say nobody respects more than women than I do. Uh, we don't know if that's too true. And so <laughs> as we talk about working with children in particular, you know, I'm just today I was just talking about girls. You know, uh, it just really, really hurts my heart because I'm listening to his his reflection on that as I watch how these young ladies are being trafficked. And, Mark, right. many of them, as Jada was interviewing them, and you know this working with young people, these guys in particular, most of the time are guys, they're giving our children an enormous amount of time that we don't normally give our kids. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You have your sons and and if they say, hey, Lamar comes over and he spends five hours with us and, Dad, you only spend 30 minutes with us, so what's happening, these folks are playing these, these games with our children, and they're taking advantage of them because our children really want some of our time. And so that's right. what, you know, what's happening. So we do, for those providers that are out there working and, so, and for those parents, I mean, we got to spend some quality time, you know, with our children, even some of the most vulnerable, you know, because uh, I know we're going to be talking about children of color. The, the lady that opened up, the young lady that opened up, Mark, just happened to be an African-American teenager and, Mark, she said she was being bullied. She was being teased because she was too dark. She said, you know, people call you black and you're ugly and all of these different things. And her self-esteem sort of just went, you know, just dropped out of her chest to the floor. And this yeah. guy comes along and tells her the total opposite. You're beautiful. All the things that she should probably get from her, from her dad and from her mom and her uncles and from educators and providers like us, 
she wasn't getting it. And so right. she easily sort of fell into that trap of being this, you know, African-American girl who grew up in this poor part of Georgia because that's where they're doing a lot of filming. And, and, and this guy came along and he raised her esteem. And that's the work that we do is, you know, in our work, we want to raise the esteem of young people to make them feel good about who they are and what they're connected to. All right, let me, let, let me back you up a little bit because you said a lot of very powerful things. And first of all, if you're listening, um, you're listening actually to this episode after the election, but we're recording it slightly before, so we, we're not sure how that's going to turn out. Um, you, you talked about um, spending time with, with our teens. You also talked about some of the work that you're doing. Um, and, and as far as spending time and raising the self-esteem of our kids, um, that's, that's pretty universal, right? I mean, this is something that you would probably recommend for all of us. A lot of my listeners are people that um, work with at-risk youth. Not all of them, but many do, and are parents of teens, and do you find um, that that's a hardship? I mean, I mean specifically to them, spending more time with our teens. Give give us some focus there. And, and now this is universal. And I and I want to get to our topic question is how do we help teens of color? But universally, what sometimes we're not doing enough of that. What's keeping us from doing that? Well, I mean, we live in a world really that, that, that don't really, uh, you know, don't really honor families as much, man. I mean, the world we live in, we're working 12 hours a day. It's hard for people to get off work to go to their school, their kids' school. You know, thank goodness that you and I, and maybe some of your listeners, they may not have this, but, you know, you and I have pretty flexible schedules if we want to drop into our kids' school, if we want to do some of those things. But the world that we live in, it's almost like anti-family. Because, again, they don't even let us have this time to, to go visit our kids' school during the daytime. If a kid gets sick, you know, the parent has to figure out some other ways to, to get somebody to pick them up. And sort of kids sort of see that. They sort of see that, you know, that, that their time is not valued because of the system that's created that. And that system says that to be great parents, you have to make a lot of money and buy a lot of things for your children. Well, what's happening is, you know, kids are saying, yeah, we do want nice things, of course, but we really, we really want our time, and time is very, very valuable. I think about um, the movie, uh, I think it was called Changing Lanes with Ben Affleck and Samuel Jackson, and they sort of left this package in the car, and, and Samuel Jackson was, you know, he was trying to find him, and, and, and they were going back and forth. And Samuel Jackson says, but can you give me my time back? That's something that you will never get. You know, it's like when people say, I'm going to go home and catch up on some sleep. Homeboy, that sleep is gone. Ain't no catching up on the sleep. It's gone. You're going to go home and take a nap, but you can't catch up on some sleep. And so that time is important. But even if you can't do that, the way we raise confidence in our children is about self-images, how they perceive themselves. Of course, I go back to this documentary that I'm, that I'm watching, The Children for Sale. This young lady said that she had a low self-esteem. You don't have to be a college graduate or you don't have to be a person who has all these degrees to really understand what it means to raise the esteem or the perception of your child. In my house, we don't play around with weight or color or hair or this, that. We don't play those jokes. We don't say, oh, call her fat or call her skinny or call her light or call her black or call her light. You know, we don't really get into that. And right. so what happens is, is that when people do have those interactions, you know, when kids are alone by themselves, Mark, they start to think about that. Well, maybe yeah. I am chubby. Maybe yeah. I am too dark. Or maybe my hair is not short long enough. Or maybe my hair should be this way. And then lack of good self-image, you know, often leads to behavior problems. When you don't feel good about who you are, you're going to sort of act out. 
you're going to sort of act out. And I'm not saying, you know, making your kid a narcissist or, or super arrogant, you know, sure. shout out to Kanye West, but we're not saying that. <laughs> we're saying having a level of, 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 uh, a level of um, perception of a great self-image, what that actually looks like, not what we sort of see on TV, uh, not those type of things. And, and, you know, you really can't help but talk about the election, whoever wins or doesn't win, when you talk about Donald Trump but his whole image piece and, and, yeah. and, and, and what he was saying about women. There are little girls and boys, because I think we tend to forget that boys also have this self-image. I mean, you know, man, we, we play sports. You're in the locker room. You talk about a yeah. person. We don't really think about that as much for boys. Sure. As we do, as we do for girls. So we have to improve uh, the, the time piece. We got to be very creative with the time. Right. But you know, as we talk about raising confidential, not just the esteem, because I yeah. think when we think of esteem, we're thinking sort of like aesthetics. But we're talking about how do we raise confident children, and then how do we raise them in a way to heal from some of the past hurts that they act, that they've actually had. And some of the challenges is as I'm talking to the, and I'm hoping the parents are listen, listening. A lot of parents have to get over some of the stuff that happened to them, mm-hmm. some of the things. As I, you know, I'm in a lot of these inner cities, and I hear, I watch these mothers walking down the street cursing their children out. Yeah. I guarantee if I can interview that, that, that parent, mom did yeah. the same thing. Dad, so they are, what they, they are what they've seen. You teach who you are and what you've learned. You can only give what you have, and if you don't have what we want them to have, Mark, then they're going to they're gonna sort of create whatever they have. And sort of sometimes right. it's not the right thing. It's not the right let, thing. Let me, let, me, let me back us up a little bit because um, when I sent uh, uh, Dr. Shields a list of, of topics he could choose from, he, you, you sent me, and I know that you could talk about pretty much anything, and I sort of pushed you into how do we help teens of color. And, um, and the reason, I, f- I feel like it's very, it's very relevant right now. Of course, it's always relevant, but this is, a, this is a great time to be talking about it. So when you're talking about self-esteem, let's narrow the focus a little bit, and let's talk about, because a lot of the folks that are listening right now either work with kids of color or, or that, that's the reality, right, in America. So we'll, we'll, let's, let's narrow the focus a little bit about those kids and, and the self-esteem issues that they're struggling with. Um, is it the same, or, or is there any differences? So, you know, I, th- I think it – you know, I've worked with all kids. When I lived in Puerto Rico because, you know, uh, my roots in, 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 in PR, I've lived in Puerto Rico, and I've worked with some of the richest white kids that I've ever seen. I mean, Mark, these kids' parents – make a gazillion dollars, and I don't even know if that's a real word. <laughs> but, what I, but what I discovered when working with them, many of those kids had a lot of the self-esteem issues that the, the, the children of color actually had, but they processed them differently. Um, they, they, but, but then they also had extra supports. So they had moms and dads who had great health plans that can send them to a psychiatrist or a therapist that can mm-hmm. sort of walk them through that. When I think of children of color, I think of a guy by the name of Ralph Ellison, who wrote an amazing book called The Invisible Man. And it is really the only book he's ever written. And he says, I'm invisible because people simply refuse to see me. And he talked about this, 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 this dichotomy of the psyche of how uh, African Americans, in particular people of color, were being viewed and how it sort of made him feel 
very, very uncomfortable that people didn't see him for who he was. And so when I look at children of color, you know, in particular, let's just say black and brown children, black and Latino kids, there's this whole historical piece where society has, has, has created these images that what's, what's white is what's right, to be thin, to be light, to have long hair, all those images. And so when you're a kid and you look at these images and you say, well, I'm not white, I'm not thin, I don't have long, stringy hair, I don't have these blue or green eyes, then there must be something wrong with me. I go back to Ralph Ellison with this invisible. So it's saying to me that there, that there must be something wrong with me. So then what do I need to do? I need to do what racism has taught me. I need to do what lack of self-image has taught me. Then I need to begin to create what society says is beautiful. So then I bleach my skin. So I, mm-hmm. I get all this fake hair. I, I get these eyelashes. I, I change the color of my eyes. And there's some deep hatred that exists within that. And yeah. so we have to shift that what beauty is to all people. You know, beauty is to whites, to browns, and to blacks, what it is. And sort of what happens is children of color, because they don't, they don't control the images, they don't feel like that they're beautiful. And that right. has a damaging effect on them in the, in, the, in the real world, the real world, the classroom, the real world emotionally when they're by themselves, when they're sitting in their rooms and they're, and they're, and they're, and they're at their weakest or their most vulnerable state, and they're at their computers, and, 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 then they, then, and then they're being bullied online. Because back in the day when we got bullied, it was outside and that was it. But now right. the, bully, the bully sort of follows you at home and in your house and your bedroom and in your bathroom, wherever you take your social media, wherever you take your phone. And sort of it's, it's very important. I'm always acknowledging when I see a young lady or young man who's very, very dark, oh, your skin is beautiful, you know, because yeah. I want to let them know that it's okay, oh, your hair is great, and, you're, and, and there are people who, are, who would pay to look like you, who are going to tanning salons and who are getting this cream to make them look that way. So I'm constantly reaffirming that uh, all the time because I understand how important that actually is. And in particular, you know, I've got to say for girls because I do see it very, very damaging uh, to our young ladies quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it's it's interesting, and I and one of the things that I see right, happening right now in the streets of America is I, I think there's there's a division. There's 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 a very difficult uh, white people have a very difficult time understanding what it is. Why, like, why are African Americans? And uh, you know, I'm being specific right now because that's what you're seeing. Why are African? What, what's their problem? You know. So there's a lack of understanding there, and I think that with you know, Jen and I talk a lot about one of the first steps in change is understanding. It's just simply understanding the problem, you know. And um, so for a, a person who's, you know, for, for, for a, a white person who's maybe helping kids, they're, they're yeah. teen advocates, and they've got kids that are, that are at risk, and they're seeing that there's a lot of African-American kids, I think understanding is a great first step. So what you're talking about is understanding, first of all, the self-esteem challenges right off the bat that they're having in a society that has shown favor to certain features, certain attributes. I mean, when you, I mean, you think about it. There, there was a hip-hop artist, I can't think of his name, uh, an old-school hip-hop artist, and one of his songs, he says, page one, page two, page three, and still no sight of me. Yeah. And you think about what that says. You know, I'm going through this book, and I don't see anybody like me. That's why I'm so glad that there's this huge resurgence of books about children of color. I just wrote one called Miguel's Amazing Book Adventure about a Latino boy who discovers himself in a book, and, and the goal is to get boys of color to read. And so you're starting to see more of these images because we, we know how, we not only just, we, I'm saying in general, 
people know how powerful images are. The image of a black president with his black wife, with his black children, says a lot to certain people. Other people, it doesn't mean anything. You know, an image of a husband and wife together or a husband and wife with their children says a lot. An image of a kid being arrested says a lot. An image of a man being hanged says a lot. So we know how powerful images are. So unless we control the narrative, and I say we, I'm saying people of color. I just finished doing a workshop with, with 60 social workers two days ago and yesterday at a private school for a predominantly white group, and we talked about uh, this, this piece by Peggy McIntosh called The Invisible Knapsack. And basically, in short, it's about a white woman who's about 50 or 60 years old who's a researcher, and she, she, her and her, her black friends talked to her about some, 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 some things that they had, some disagreements. And so Peggy, at first she complained about it, and then she said, let me think about this. So she said she woke up in the middle of the night, Mark, and said she said this thing was so it was on her heart so much from this conversation from these, her friends that she said that she wrote down 50 things, 50 things that she could do that her African-American friends or her friends of color could not do. And, and, and she said it just drove her crazy because she didn't, really, she didn't really think about it until these women approached her and asked her these questions. And she says, you know, I really don't think about being black, white when I wake up. You know, I don't really think sure. about that. But there, but there are a group of people who, when they wake up, they think, they think about that. You know, yeah. one of her statements, she says, I can avoid spending time with people whom I was trained to mistrust and who have learned to mistrust my kind. I can go shopping alone most of the time, pretty well assured that I will not be followed or harassed. These are her words, you know, a woman who wrote down 50 things. So imagine if a child of color, and in particular, because we're talking about two of the largest populations, black and Latino kids, who, ironically enough, has been a part of this conversation for this presidential election. Never before have you heard uh, uh, of someone who's running for president stress black and Latino people, poor right. community. Never, and, and it's so, it sounds so dis, disingenuous because, you know, I'm talking, I'm watching kids watch this, and they sort of can see through, through the rhetoric. But, again, um, when you talk about children of color, when you even look at, now I've got to put on my research hat from Hopkins. You, when, you, when, you put, when you look at the research, just the birth of a child of color coming into this world is great, is challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that, he or she may not survive yeah. compared to his or her white counterpart. So already, Mark, those children are starting out with the deficit. When I think of Public Enemy, uh, Chuck D., who I love, and, and for those that are Public Enemy fans, you know that Chuck D. has that sort of scope. Uh, that's their, like, brand he created. And it's almost like this scope that you see on a, on a shotgun, about literally about physically taking somebody out. And that's yeah. the image that he thinks about is that, you know, society is really taking out black and brown people, but in particular, black and brown children. And when I go to some of the schools, there's not a lot of learning taking place. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that, Mark, you as a white male can't engage a black kid. We know that that's not true. We know that right. because majority of the teachers and folks who run nonprofit are white folks who, are, who mean very well, uh, who want to know, who want to learn. And it's not to say that most, that we, of course, we want more black and Latino folks doing this work, but the reality is we are just not running to that field. Um, right. And so we have to work with what we have. But for those white folks who are working in particular with children of color, when they talk about racism, when they talk about black lives matter or brown lives matter, when they talk about how they're being viewed, there's no, 
have no judgment. The Dalai Lama said love is the absence of judgment. Just be yeah. there and be available and just listen without judgment. So when I say I wake up, I think about being a black man, and you, I don't need you to respond and say, well, I don't wake up thinking about that, because I wasn't saying that to get a response <laughs> from you. I'm saying that this is how I feel. You know, yeah. this is how I feel. And so um, when we talk about the self-esteem of, of children of color, you know, I think there's some things that are universal, but when it comes to the issues that, 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 that children of color are dealing with, it is, is enormous. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it is so large that, um, you know, it takes years and years of uh, layers of pulling off this onion and onion, and when you think you got it through, then you have to sort of compensate it for something else. Again, I go back to the doc I'm watching, Children for Sale. This girl clearly said, I was, I was, because they called me black, and I was dark, and I was fat, and I was ugly on this, and it really affected me. But when this guy came along with these positive things, I felt good. And she, yeah. what it says is she wanted that, and she would take it from anybody, but she right. wound up taking it from the wrong person. Right, right. Oh my gosh, my, uh, Dr. Shields, you've covered a, a lot of really. I'd love. Uh, there's so many strands I'd like to go off into. I, I've got a tough question for you, but you we're talking about understanding the challenges that these uh, kids are uh, dealing with, and then being able to uh, change. Just give them some positive affirmations and some some yeah. some uplifting ways of thinking of themselves. Okay, here's my question to you. Um, there's a little bit of change of direction here. I was watching a YouTube video, and I, I was watching, um, and you may have seen it. It was just a couple of months ago, and there was a, uh, a, a guy teaching karate or martial arts, and, and the class was all oh, exactly little, what you're about. Mm-hmm. you know it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and uh, one of the things that the, um, the, 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 the uh, instructor said, there, the father was there too, and so um, he said, it's difficult being a black man in this country. You need to endure pain. You need to be able to... Um, suffer a little bit and, and, and rise above it. So it was a very positive message. But, you know, Jen and I in O'Shift, we talk a lot about um, victim mentality. And uh, it, we, it's, a, it's a very uh, challenging thing. And it's probably the one thing that we talk a lot about that it's very challenging. You can't tell people that they can't take the victim role, but we also know that when you do, you're stuck. You can't move forward. What what is is what he said to um, that little boy? It's like it's not easy to be black in America. Um, is that setting? Uh, is is that layering on a a, a, a defeatist um, future, or is that preparing you for the inevitable? I think it's you know it, you know I, I I hate sort of the victim role. Uh, you know, one of the things I remember Jesse Jackson Jr. said to me years ago, he says, don't use poverty as an excuse, but use it as a reason to be successful. Don't use it, my mother was not around, use it as a reason to be successful. Don't use it because my dad was incarcerated, use it as a reason. So we sort of flipped it. I, I really love the image, and you painted a great picture. I think when you, when you understand the narrative of the, of the black community, um, and, and let's just say the Latino community, because it's very, very, when you talk about this family connection, it's very, very, very close, very, very close. There's this, there's this cultural pride that exists, and this cultural pride is somewhat different from what anybody else has seen, is that one of the things that you would hear elders say in these particular communities, they would say, make us, make your family proud, and make your people and your race proud. And I remember jokingly saying that to some retired teachers, and, we, you know, it was funny when I said it to them. 
because they know that that's what their grandparents told them. Make your people proud. Make your family proud. And so that's the pressure that you're going into this world. And normally they would say that when they were going to college and they would give them some money and things of that nature. And so it is not, it is not to set them up for failure. It is to remind them of what this world is really about. And we want you to be mindful of those things that have actually going to be taking place. Will they have an effect on you the way that they have on me as a, as a man of color? It may not. But I want to prepare you to deal with that. It is not a failure mentality. It is I want you to understand what this world is about. But the reality is that we talked about a shift. Dr. Wayne Dyer talked about how we looked at this shift. You know, there are two ways you can look at it. You can see this world as a world as a loving world or as a world as a chaotic world. And based on how you view that world is how you're going to move throughout, the, throughout your life. And if you think that there's somebody always out to get you, you're going to think that through your entire life, be it if you're working a contract, Mark, or if you're working with a kid who's trying to get over, you're thinking that same thing. And so when you saw the emotion of that boy and you saw the emotion of that man, the reason why I went so viral is because there's so many men who are able to identify with what was being said. Many of us, and me in particular, because I can only speak for me, I can never speak for the whole group of black and brown folks out there, um, it, you know, it made me feel good that this, that this young boy was getting this at such a very young age. This is not, yeah. this is not uh, out of the box. When you have almost every culture has what we call a right to pass this. The Jewish community has the bar mitzvah, and the bar mitzvah, the African-American community have the rights of passage, and then also in the Latino community have the quinceanera. So there's all these rights of passage. This is just a part of that. So the question becomes, what well, do we tell Jewish kids? Do we also switch the narrative for them? Do we switch the narrative for a Sweet 16 party? Do we switch the narrative for a quinceanera? It's just a part of the culture, and this is the culture that exists. Let's take it a step further. Um, since you brought it up, there's an there's a, a cartoon that came out called Two Americas. I don't know if you saw this. And it was a cartoon of a white kid leaving his house and a, and a black kid leaving his house. And the white kid says, Mom, I'm going outside. And the mom says, okay. Both kids look the exact same. Yeah. The black kid says, Mom, I'm going outside. But the mother says, okay, don't forget, don't put your hoodie on. If someone stops you, you stop there and you, you say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Don't, don't make sudden moves. Don't put your hands in your pocket. Stay focused. Same picture, same kid, different cultures, two different Americas. Right. And so some people can look at that cartoon and say, oh, no, that's not real. But, yeah, Bruce Springsteen wrote a song about it called American Skin in about 1998 about Amadou Diallo case. And so it does exist. And so our kids are so smart and so savvy that they, too, watch that same video that you see, and they see something different. Right. Uh, they see something different. You know, my buddy in the barbershop, his little daughter was, was working out some, to, to, to some, like, fitness video. She was, like, seven years old. And she's listening to the girl, but it's a white girl who's telling her, if you want to look like me, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And so all of a sudden, my buddy's daughter was like, well, I don't want to look like you. You know, she's now thinking, what do I need to look like you for? And this little girl who's in the video, if you want to look like me, you got to. And so this little girl in her, in her black mind is starting to think, I don't want to look like that. So I'm going yeah. to turn the video off, and I need to find somebody that looks like me. Right. right. And so that's how deep this thing goes. But we got to, you know, one of the strategies is 
we got to let our kids have this voice. We got to let them, we got to really, really let them talk because, Mark, if you look at stats for, as, as, as it relates to black and brown kids, in particular teenagers, they're not looking good. I mean, it's really, it's not looking good. Thank goodness that we have great programs out there, or great people, because I always tell people, uh, programs don't raise children, people raise children. Right. Because when the yeah. program funding is gone, the people are still there for the most part. And sort of thank goodness that we have people who are pouring into our children. But I am concerned. I tell folks I love kids, but it's something about kids that look like me. It's, you know, it's like you with boys. I just, it's something about boys. Not say you don't like girls, yeah. but, man, because I have sons. And see, yeah. many people are afraid to say that and thinking and saying, no, it's not saying anything wrong. Folks know I will come and give an amazing talk to a group of kids from all different cultures. But when you put me, when, you, when I get off that stage and then you put me in a room with some kids that look like me, a lot of that shifts because now I've got to give them what they say the real. I've got to give them that same conversation. And it's not a defeat. It's just, yeah, you've got to work harder. But you also hear, Mark, you hear women say that to little girls. Sure. The same thing. You've got to yeah. work harder than these boys. You've got to show them. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. That's why this whole thing fight like a girl and run like a girl, that cliche is so funny now because yeah. it's saying a lot about what the image is. Perception is changing. Let me, let me ask it you this. It is definitely changing. Dr. Shields, definitely we, we, we've gone long, and I know your time is valuable, and I, 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 I want to wrap this up, but I feel like this uh, episode uh, it can go a little longer because it's, it's a really important topic, really timely. Um, and I don't like to think that we'll be getting off the phone when um, – I really want to. I want you to answer the question for. We talked a little bit about increasing awareness for uh, white folks that are working with African American kids or, or kids of color. What would you say specifically um, for those uh, teen advocates that are working with populations? And these these are, are teen advocates of color that are working with um, teens of color. What, what what might what can you throw out for them to be mindful of as they continue that work? And let me let me even narrow that down further. Some of the kids they're working with are very challenging. You know, some of these, and we get you know how it is. We get boiled down to like, oh my God, are you kidding me? You know, it's it's like that stamina that it takes to like day in and day out going. I'm amazed, and you know this. We we see these people at conferences, and you're like. You, they, your kids did what? You know, it's incredible that they persist. What can you, uh, what can you tell them, kind of succinctly, that uh, you know gives them, gives the, gets them back on focus? Well, let me let me throw out a couple of books, man. Uh, okay. Here's a really good book called "For White Folks Who Teach in the Hood," and the rest of y'all too. That's a that's a great book. Um, it's a book out called "Push Out: The Criminalization of Black Girls in School." Uh, Make Me, Understanding and Engagement Student Resistance in School. And then, of course, my book, What I Learned in the Midst of Chaos, The Making of an Ubuntu Teacher. Um, I think the hope lies within you. I think being, being, as we say in Spanish, ser paciente, being patient, listening to children, listening to your heart, following your own heart. Don't come in with this, this elitist attitude that I'm coming in to save these black poor kids. Um, in particular, be it black or white or, or, or who you're working with, but just being making yourself available. But the big thing is also to being transparent, Mark. Um, and when I say transparent, I'm not saying tell your kids, yeah, because back in 2005 I was getting high, I was smoking weed, I was dropping it like it's hot, I was twerking. We're not talking about that type of transparency. Right. We're yeah. talking about transparent about what you don't know and being right. clear. This is I don't know this, but I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to go the extra mile. But then also talking to other people 
who have been, quote, unquote, successful with this population, uh, talking to them and finding out what are some of the strategies and some of the tools. But really listen, listen to the music, man. There's so many clues and cultural cues inside of music. You talked about watching these YouTube videos. TED Talks, I'm a TED speaker. TED Talks has some amazing, amazing strategies from people who've done this type of work. Um, but, then, but, you know, but then also just stand on top of research, reading, reading as much as possible. What, I, what I've discovered in the youth development field, we don't read a lot. And, and don't say you don't have time. You've got Audible. Shout out to Audible. I use it all the time. Uh, you, can, you can work out and listen to your book. Uh, you know, there are other applications uh, that you can do. Uh, and, and, and the last thing is, is one is for the providers. You've got to take care of yourself. That meditation time, that deep breathing for yourself, um, having some type of workout. Uh, don't get me on diet because that's a whole nother, another piece as a vegan. <laughs> That'll take me That's another else. show. That's, a whole that's another, another show. show. But, again, you know, <laughs> taking that quiet time to start your day and to end your day because we carry so much baggage at home, and you've got to have some time with significant others, those people that you love, and find other things you like to do. A lot of folks are getting into painting and drawing, and coloring is, is now, you know, making people feel more at ease, taking a yoga class or going for a running. We've got to take care of ourselves. We've got to take care of ourselves because we can't give what we don't have. So I mentioned a couple of books. Uh, you know, putting the right food in you uh, and listen to the right music as well. And then the last thing is being around the right people and exposing young people to something different. If, you're not, if you can't take them there, bring in other people who are connected to the neighborhood or to the school, to the barrio, those hoods and those barrios where these kids come from. Bring them in and let those folks talk about how they overcame those particular obstacles. Yeah, two weeks ago I talked to Dr. Jones in Villanova. He he said some of the same things, you know, sort of giving them a, a different image of, of what what it could look like, sort of that pull. Um, yeah. You also talked about taking care of yourself. I, I, I didn't even expect uh, to hear that, but it's so true. It's like giving yourself that, that proper care. And then research, you really can't do – I mean, how do you expect to do well if you don't research? It's a challenge for a lot of people because some people aren't research-minded. Of course, that's what this show is all about if you're more – uh, auditory learner then uh, you know each week and find out uh, how you can help and um, but uh, I, I'm sure uh, just reading some of the some of the material that you mentioned but also your book tireless champion dr. Shields tireless champion for kids um, doc it, it's so good to talk to you I, I love the passion and uh, people just in this half-hour conversation aren't really going to get a true sense of who you really are. I, I recommend to my listeners to look up uh, Dr. Shields and find out what he's doing, where he's at in the country. He's moving around. And if you and, ever and get we've, to, got, we've got to celebrate the great news, man. This is my first public announcement. Can I, can I make this announcement? You I'm better, right yeah. Here, man. yeah. So I am a 2016 um, – community fellow from the Open Society Institute. If you don't know who George Soros is, believe me, Donald Trump said his name four times uh, in the debate. <laughs> and so George Soros is a social activist, philanthropist. So I'm a 2016 community fellow for the Open Society Institute, and I created a program called the Teacher Exchange where I'm, where I'm working with young people to serve as teacher coaches to teachers to make them stronger teachers, man. So I thank you for allowing me to come on. This is the first time I made this announcement. I'm really excited wow. about the teacher exchange. And they can, they can find more about that because we're going to be replicating this model across the country, Mark. It's an 18-month fellowship that comes along with a nice size check for your boy because we need that money, right, to do this work. Yes. Uh, but I am excited about being an Open Society Institute community fellow. 
Wow, congratulations. Real quick, Thank does you. that how how can others benefit from from your from from this happening to you? Do, is this something you teach or is something you can Well, you know, so the fellowship is solely focused on Baltimore, the Baltimore area. I had to choose a school that I'm going to work with for the next 18 months. And then once I collect all the data, video images, and I'm going to have a a, a video log of all this stuff, the kids I'm going to be recruiting. And then after we finish, the goal is to replicate it in other cities and other school districts. Uh, it can be used in, you know, in any school district, um, but it's a great model. It's just a new way of thinking. Well, it's, it's really an old way of thinking because you know, we know the research. When you have a mentor working with a, a teacher uh, in a program, they do much better. But my belief is if we, had a, if we had a young person with the same type of skills, that then they could also do just as, as great because – the young person is the people that we're going to be eventually teaching. So the young person has the inside track on what it takes to engage them and their peers in the school system. So it's called the teacher exchange. Wow. Congratulations, sir. I, I can't you, even sir. imagine a, a better person to have received that uh, award. I appreciate it. It's <laughs> so great excited. to talk to you, sir. You too. And, Thanks uh, a lot, man. I appreciate it. Tell the family I said hello. Old Shift is in the building, Dr. Lamar Darnell <laughs> Shields. <laughs> All right, sir. Take care. Say hello to right, Betty man. for us. Will do. All right, okay, bye-bye. Great conversation there with my good friend, Dr. Lamar Shields, uh, doing amazing work out of Baltimore. Keep up the good work, Dr. Shields. Thank you for joining us. I know this show went a little long, so I appreciate you staying with us the whole time. Uh, if you're thinking about becoming a O-Shift for Teens facilitator, well, head to the website and check out the tab where you can become a facilitator. Uh, thanks so much for joining us this week. We will see you again in one week from now. All right. Bye-bye.